Welcome to CTSNet to Go, bringing your discussions about the most relevant topics in cardiothoracic surgery. The Cardiothoracic Surgery Network, known as CTSNet, aims to connect the global cardiothoracic surgical community through communication, collaboration, education, and interaction among cardiothoracic surgeons and their teams across the globe. Learn more at ctsnet.org. My name is Shanda Blackman, and I'm just one of the hosts of CTSNet2Go. In this podcast, you will be exposed to one of the roundtables that will show you what surgeons today are talking about. So good afternoon from New Orleans. We're at SDS20, and my name is Lisa DeGarmo. I'm from UT Health McGovern Medical School in Houston, Texas, and I have the honor and pleasure today uh, to lead one of our roundtable talks for uh, advanced practice providers. So our goal today is straight talk with APPs, current topics that we have in the APP community and in practice. And today I'm gonna introduce our panel. Um, our first speaker is Jill Engel. She is a, a Associate Vice President at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. Our next panelist is Laura Wiesty. She is at Memorial Hermann Health System in Houston, Texas. And our last speaker here is Julie Schafstall. She is a PA at Emory Healthcare in Atlanta, Georgia. So our goals today, our objectives, are just for um, introducing you to the needs of uh, APPs. And as we have uh, quality healthcare continues to grow, uh, one of the solutions over the past 20 years has been the growth of APPs in the medical field. And today we just wanted to discuss about having APPs in cardiothoracic surgery and how we can be represented and continue to grow and to help support programs nationally like STS. And also how we can promote APPs uh, nationally to ensure that we're building quality programs for our hospital and as a profession. So one of the things I wanted to talk with you, Jill, is that one size doesn't fit all for each cardiovascular program across, across the country. And if your surgeon is coming to a new program or you're building a new tower or a new heart and vascular institute, how can health systems assess their programs and how can we help to maximize evidence-based practice and quality care? So Lisa, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the most important things that we could teach people is how to look at really a structured way to evaluate what your needs are. I think it's really important in the healthcare climate we are today to make sure everyone practices at top of scope. So there may be a lot of requests for APPs being NPs and PAs, and we definitely want them in there doing the jobs that they're suited to do, but I think it's important to make sure they're practicing at top of scope and that the request is the right request for an advanced practice provider and then determining what is the programmatic need, what type of patients do you have, who are the other multidisciplinary team members supporting that person to decide really how to set them up for success. So I think it really goes back to what's the structure, the process to onboard, support, and train these individuals and help them understand. Uh, they come with a lot of great tools, but depending on years of experience, you discussed evidence-based practice. I think it's on us to help professionally develop. And again, it goes back to having a structure and process to onboard professionally develop them and also use technology. You can hardwire a lot of the evidence-based practice today with your EMRs, whether it's your standardized order sets, uh, your best practice alerts, your standardized templates so that you really standardize across the CSU, uh, but make it easier for the new providers. But I think a needs assessment is really the first place. 
And thinking ahead, you mentioned new towers. If you're going to grow a new program, grow a new tower, really important to get started because we know that interviewing and onboarding process takes time. If you have uh, three months to hire, three months to credential, and then a training period, you really have to start about a year in advance to actively engage and begin the hiring process. That's great. Thank you, Jill. And as you had mentioned, the onboarding process that we have for APPs and starting to build those programs, Laura, what is one of the things that you look for in your institution and for your program when hiring uh, APPs? What are kind of the top hiring points that you have? Right, thanks, Lisa. So as you were saying earlier that not, you know, one size doesn't fit all. Mm -hmm. And so we have different size programs. Um, in our program, our APPs follow the patient from the time they hit the emergency room or the cath lab until through surgery, through the intensive care, uh, to telemetry and then home. And then we follow up with them as an outpatient as well. So what I'm looking for specifically in my area is someone with uh, obviously a strong CV background, uh, someone that has a team spirit and they're willing to um, function and participate at different levels on the team. Um, not everybody is going to be in the ICU every day. Um, and so you have to be willing to um, change your hat and your role some days. I'm looking for someone that um, is a, a receptive uh, learner, mm -hmm. as well as someone that's willing to share their knowledge and build our team. Um, we also are looking for um, people with great communication skills because you have to be able to navigate not just working with the surgeons but working with the consulting physicians, our cardiology partners, our, our pulmonologists, people that are able to facilitate the program and growth. Thank you. Um, and to talk about communication too, um, what are some of the examples uh, when having, you know, it's so important for APPs to be the voice on the unit and with the service line for communication with our patients and our physicians, how can we have great physician champions? How can we help to develop that communication between physicians? Jill, do you have any experience from your institution? Um, sure. So I think the first thing we're going to go back to again is educate. If we have new providers we're working with, new physicians who haven't had a lot of experience working with advanced practice providers, it's our job to go introduce what the role is, how do we optimize the role, and really have a shared vision around what can that role do in the service line or in the particular practice. So I think going and also finding out who really is the leader of the group, especially if you're new bringing in providers who can help you administratively, operationally, and how do you connect? So I think if you find that individual, for me it was the chief of CT surgery, mm -hmm. um, and we had a dream uh, to grow the team and really end up and had a 10-year plan, and it's really having a shared vision, a shared strategy, and partnering all the way through to figure out how to do that. And it doesn't take long. I think most of you who've been in practice a while, we've had these conversations. Um, after you get the APPs up and running and people see really what they bring to the quality of care, to the patients, to the service line, you really don't have to do a lot of promoting because everyone wants to get more APPs on the team. But it's really up to us to educate and do this the right way. I agree. I agree. We have a lot of uh, great physician champions mm -hmm. that know the value of APPs uh, and what they provide to the service line and, mm -hmm. and to, uh, to the program itself. So I know that uh, our physician on our campus, Laura, works with him as well. Um, he's a great physician champion for us, wants us to be out there and, and promoting um, our service line too, and works well with all of our referring uh, physicians. 
Um, and another one, uh, another big topic that we have is the bedside. What we have, the care at the bedside, nurses are changing. We have a lot of turnover at the bedside, but there's also a lot of turnover with APPs and staff too, whether people are going back to school um, and uh, APPs in general having burnout and turnover. Julie, I wonder if you can kind of discuss at, at your campus and at, at Emory, um, how you can prevent that and help with retention uh, to stay having uh, APPs, nurse practitioners, PAs, to stay in the same institution um, and be there so that they can still provide the same quality care. Yeah, I think that's um, something a lot of programs are you know, dealing with right now. You spend all this time training people, getting people um, oriented, developing a program, and you want those people to stay. So um, Emory's done a lot recently to try to retain you know, they hire new, they spend, you know, a year until somebody's actually fully functional as far as EVH, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, it's important that they want to stay. And so they've really worked on creating more of, I guess, a work, uh, a work life balance. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that they've done is, you know, we have to take call. Um, we come in maybe at noon on our call day, um, leave you know, able to leave at noon the next call day, certain things so that you're not at work 16 hours a day every day of the week and, and that, you know, create an environment that people want to come to work and mm -hmm. want to do a good job, et cetera. So um, Emory's done uh, a couple of things um, to make, you know, and then the physicians um, to make you want to be at work and that, you know, prevents uh, burnout there as well. So um, it's, I think a lot of places are kind of um, dealing with that situation. So those, they've done a couple of other things, um, you know, just to make, uh, you know, encourage us to take our PTO when we have it. Mm -hmm. They're not telling you, you know, you need to be at work every day. You know, they want you to enjoy your life outside of work because if you enjoy your you know, that, then you come to work and you have a better attitude and you want to do a little bit more, so. Thank you for mentioning that. I know that they had talked about that at STS as well. Laura, do you, what can you attest to at your institution, whether it be as far as ongoing education or other areas that you can help to prevent burnout? Right. So I was going to add that, that mm -hmm. uh, our institution sponsored me to come here to STS, and they uh, were very uh, proactive in making sure that the advanced practice providers are continuing their education, that we're meeting our yearly competencies, that we uh, have opportunities to maintain um, the correct number of different procedures mm -hmm. uh, that were prepared uh, for renewing our, our license and certifications. So I think that they're very supportive in that. I think that uh, we have physician champions that mm -hmm. support us clinically, and I also think that we have nursing administration supporting us as nurses, you know, for nurse practitioners, um, making sure that we feel comfortable working alongside our physician partners and are, are working, I think, to um, the highest level of our, our nursing license, okay. as well as our advanced practice certification. Thank you, thank you. I know that uh, at our institution as well, some of the things that are continuing to go through is just recognition. Um, so really trying to make sure that the advanced practice are on the websites, that they're making sure that they're on the doors and facilities and that they're a part of the team. I think that's a big approach too, is that they're part of a team and they work and collaborate together. And kind of being here at STS, I know that um, I've already been introduced by our uh, executive faculty to go back and talk about what we've learned here. So I think that's a big part of helping to prevent burnout and making sure that 
the APPs are well involved and really feel like a team player uh, in their institution. Right, I can add something to that. Um, in, our, in our facility, we've just opened a structural heart program mm -hmm. with TAVR. And so uh, we've partnered with our cardiology, um, the, kind of the champions of the TAVR program, and they've created a flyer to put in their doctor's offices to give to the patients that have pictures of all of the kind of the key players, mm -hmm. and they've put uh, the advanced practice providers on the flyer, which I think really uh, speaks to our team spirit, and that that's something we're very proud of at our hospital is that uh, kind of all for one, one for all, we rise together, fall together, mm -hmm. and uh, it's nice that the physicians came up with that idea. That is, that mm -hmm. is, um, and Jill, and how do you get administration to really buy in to supporting? your program because we know that it takes structure. It takes a lot more as you're starting to build. When you're mm -hmm. starting a new program, uh, if you have physicians coming in, you really want to build your program, not only with patients, surgeons, physicians, but all that multidisciplinary um, team that really comes together. How do you have that support with administration on the advanced practice side? So, oh, that's a great question, Lisa. Mm -hmm. So I think one thing is by um, promoting and having APPs move into leadership roles that provides more understanding of what the role is at the administrative level. I think you have to be a partner, right? And so you have to go again, you educate about what you do. I think you have to learn um, uh, a little bit about budget cycles and try to understand how to uh, anticipate your requests, how to make sure you have the information they need, not only financial data, but you have to be prepared to provide quality, throughput data, patient sat data, other things that really help to justify positions when you go for position control. So it's really a good idea to go and get to know your business and finance team, to get to know your senior leadership team a little bit better. And if they're not familiar with what your role is, I like to take them up to the clinical space and really get to see um, the care that actually the APPs are involved in, what they're impacting, and make sure that we partner and that we don't give them a big surprise. And they know when we come, I sort of have a standardized template and approach, and I look at quality metrics, I look at outcome metrics, regulatory. You always have to look at the financial piece. You look at um, work culture and patient sat, and you really deliver a nice package when you're gonna go forward with a nice request. And I try to make sure I bundle that request, I do it all at once, and I don't go back multiple times. So I wanna have a really good uh, plan when I go in and make sure that I've answered their questions. So I see them as really tremendous partners at our organization. Thank you, thank you. I think a big part of just being in a forum like this where you're getting to see how other programs are represented nationally, how if you're a small institution, seeing how a big institution uh, is, and depending on how many pump cases you have, it really helps to see what's the support like at other systems. So I think it's a big thing to coming here and having other people going and viewing yeah. other systems and how mm -hmm. does it work there and see how if you can implement that model at your own facility too. Thank you totally. so much. Okay. Um, Laura, in an ideal world, uh, how do you support your APPs to have the best program? So in supporting the APPs, I think first we have to support ourselves, right? And so as leaders, I think oftentimes we take everyone under our wing and, and sometimes we take it on the chin for everyone. And I think that we have to be able to support ourselves um, by coming to meetings, by making sure that we carve out time, obviously for family, um, but making sure that we're meeting our own needs and then you know with doing that we can support everyone else and so as the lead or the directors uh, you know to support the other APPs we have to treat them first uh, professionally and respectfully we need to value what they bring to the table 
Everybody brings something different and at different levels. Some people may have years of experience. Others may, may be new grads with new information that maybe some of the older APPs aren't privy to. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we need to respect them for what they bring to the table. I think um, clinically, we have to be able to be their resource. And so oftentimes, you know, we have to help them um, plot out what they're gonna do for the day or how the patient care is gonna go until they build that kind of toolbox for themselves. I think um, it's important, uh, you know, one of the things we have on our service, it's kind of a little motto we have, and I'm sure a lot of people do, is that we say family first. And so uh, you have to be able to, sometimes you have to go to your kid's cupcake party or you have to be able to take the kid to the doctor or whatever. So we support each other, we cover for each other so that each of us can take some time off to do that. Um, obviously, uh, when you're away at a meeting, somebody has to cover for you. And so I think we really adopt a team approach to support each other as people. Mm -hmm. um, clinically, obviously, uh, we have to be able to rely on our physicians to help with that. So we meet with them monthly. Uh, and go over a few patients to make sure that we're meeting the board requirements. Uh, we also uh, have yearly evaluations where we make sure that everyone is on track and that they're progressing and that they continue to learn. And then, you know, as our program grows, we're trying to make sure that we have enough APPs that we're not overstressing people. And so some of the things you were saying, Jill, uh, about coming to the table with all of your information. We're kind of working through that right now and we're, we're on the learning curve and I'm so glad I got to talk to you about some of this <laughs> stuff. But one of the things we've come up with is uh, from a budgetary uh, component is uh, determining what we think the needs will be and then how are we gonna determine what our needs are going to be. So in, if you're starting a new program, I think uh, one of the ideas we had was creating a CDM where you can uh, track how many visits you have with a patient and put it at a, a minute number of minutes you spent with the patient. Uh, it's not a billable charge, but it is a charge you can go back and look at. And uh, you can look at what you expect you're going to need and what you actually need. And I think it's uh, kind of a helpful tool in trying to decide, do we have enough APPs so that everybody feels like they're making a difference, but they're not overworked. Being supported. Yep. And I like to also use a continuing education. I think yeah. that's a big portion of it yeah. to make them feel like they have the resources that they need and then actually kind of exactly what we talked about coming here uh, to be a part of STS and other uh, national uh, societies mm -hmm. that are able to really help continue to promote our um, education and how we're seen throughout the community and, and work together with physicians and other multidisciplinary teams to really provide quality evidence-based practice and then taking it back to our institutions. Exactly. Jill, do you have mm -hmm. anything else that you'd like to add on that as far as the ideal world, how you really support your program. Uh, one other thing on pro professional development, you made me think of this sitting here, you know, we often go forward and we ask for new staff and sometimes you only need one. So there are great opportunities to look at how do you cross train and build a little bit of depth and a little bit of strength and some bench on the team. And we've had really good success in cross training people to step into other roles, to back people up. And actually as people then start to move around in the system and they look for new opportunities, they tend to stay in the service line and they may take a different role. So that has been a really great opportunity for us as we've looked at, as the teams got larger, but we had subspecialties that may have fewer team members, it's really been a really tremendous opportunity for professional growth and also programmatic growth. And I think it makes them better providers. So I think that's been one of the lessons learned probably just in the past few years. I don't know if that's something you guys are doing, but sure. that's been received very well. Great. So, 
Well, I just want to thank everyone for watching this portion of CTSNet. What an honor it's been to be able to discuss advanced practice uh, together with leaders across the nation, building programs so that we can continue to support each other. And for those others who might be across the nation that aren't able to come uh, to be a part of STS, that they we have another forum like this where they're able to be engaged and hear these critical conversations and be able to help to support their programs with advanced practice. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to CTS net to go your resource for podcasts focusing on cardiothoracic surgery. Find more discussions as well as surgical videos and other cardiothoracic surgery resources at ctsnet.org. You can also keep up with CTSNet by subscribing to the YouTube channel at CTSNet Video, by following at CTSNet.org on Twitter, or by liking CTSNet's page on Facebook. I'm Shanda Blackman. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of CTS Net to Go. Have a great day.